Turn to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will serve the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shall thy trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold, and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation, There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet, because he hath set his love upon me. Therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. A tremendous portion of God's word. Let's just bow again the word of prayer. Father, Take your word now and inscribe it on every heart and imprint it upon every mind and help us all to see that you are the same yesterday and today and forever. We ask you, Father, that you would increase our knowledge of you, bring fresh revelation of your Son, But we ask you, Lord, that you would glorify him in the midst. And if there's one here who has not yet come to saving faith in him, we pray that you draw them tonight by the power of your Spirit at the preaching of your word. And, Father, may they come to know him, who to know is life eternal. We love you, and we worship you, and we thank you tonight that we are dwelling in the secret place of the Most High God. Glorify your name, we pray. For Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Verse 1 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, Psalm 91 is not ascribed to Uh, any name in particular or any of the 
ancient writers. But whoever has written it is not really the main point or the fact of the matter. We know that whoever holds the pen does not matter, but whoever holds the man who holds the pen, that's what matters. And this is inspired by Almighty God, by the sacred writer. In fact, most believe or tend to believe that Moses has written Psalm 91. There's a, there's a similar tone in Psalm 90, the psalm before it, which is attributed to Moses. And it says in verse 1, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Then get into Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 91 is known as the Psalm of Protection. The Psalm of Protection. And if you read Psalm 91, this is what you'll find. The covering of the Lord. You'll find that as He covers, He keeps you from verse 5 from uh, the fear of the terror by night and the arrow that flieth by day. He keeps us from the pestilence that walketh in darkness and from the destruction that wasteth at noonday. Notice, a thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee, the Lord says through the psalmist. In other words, if you and I are able to stay in the secret place, it's there we will find help and strength. It's there we will find God's provision and God's protection. God has made us a promise that when we dwell in the secret place of the Most High, then we shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, Psalm 91 calls a nation to prayer and to repentance. Psalm 91 convinces Israel of providence, the providence of God. Psalm 91 cries out of divine protection. Psalm 91 charges the angels of heaven to minister unto us. And Psalm 91 cares about the individual soul. He that dwelleth, or she that dwelleth. In other words, you might feel, well, who am I? Or what am I? I know nothing about this gospel. I know nothing about saving grace. I know nothing about Jesus. I know nothing about the Word of God. Who am I that the Lord would think about me and set His love upon me? Well, your soul is so valuable that the Lord Jesus gave His own life for you. You're more valuable than all the riches and all of the treasures this world can afford and this world can hold. So here we have Psalm 91 from the nation to the heavens, to the angels, to the individual. God calls us to prayer and he calls us to repentance. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The secret place of the Most High. What is the secret place of the Most High? Well, I would put the point to you that the secret place 
was that area where God's immediate glory came in the tabernacle in the wilderness. In the center of the encampment of Israel, there was a tabernacle of badger skin, and inside that there was a holy place, and inside that was the most holy, where the high priest went but once a year with the shed blood of animals to make atonement for the sins of the people. That is the secret place of the Most High. Then when we move forward in time into the Promised Land and into Jerusalem, we have the temple that was built. And the temple was built with the secret place behind a great curtain. But when Christ died on the cross and he cried, it is finished, that great veil of the temple was rent from the top to the bottom. Some say between 40 to 60 foot in height. Some say from as much as one half of a foot to a foot thick, as though God had torn the bill that was against us, and he made free access into the place, the sacred place of the Most High, for every single one of us. Christ has consecrated a new and a living way for you and I to be in the secret place of the Most High. The secret place in the tabernacle and the temple was the place of the shedding of blood. It was the place of the offering of blood. It was the place where God met man and man met God. And now on the cross of Calvary, the only place that you can meet God and the only place where God will meet you is at that place in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want to do business with God, you must come to the cross of Christ. You must believe and trust in his finished work on the cross and the blood that was shed to pay all of your debt, the debt of your sin, and you'll be saved. The Lord Jesus himself said of a person, a believer, going to pray. If you go home and you close your door of your bedroom, or if it's an office door, or a living room door, and you're on your own, the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father, listen, which is in secret. And thy Father, which seeth thee in secret, shall reward thee openly. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Do you know, believer, every time you go to pray, you're in the secret place. Every time you call in the name of the Lord and no one knows that secret in that secret place, the secrets of your heart, only you and God. God rewards you openly when you take time to seek his face in prayer. And that's what happened when our nation came together. We're going to look at that in a way. Our nation was called to prayer. Our nation was called to repentance before God with whom they had to do and with whom they had turned from and they had sinned grievously against 
God in his grace and his mercy rewarded them openly by doing national miracles during the war. See, God's grace still abounds over our sin. God's mercy is still new and fresh every morning. Now, before we go into national things in a moment, I want to make a statement. I believe in the new birth. I want to make that plain, and I want to make that clear. I believe in the new birth. I believe in Holy Ghost regeneration. I believe in the blood of Jesus and Jesus alone. I believe outside of Christ, a man and a woman is lost. I believe in repentance from sinning, changing of a mind, turning from sin, and walking right before God. I believe in imputed faith and the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me put that down first and foremost. But I also believe in the Holy Scriptures, that the Holy Scriptures are divinely breathed by Almighty God. I believe when I open my Bible, the breath of God is breathing on me, because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. In other words, all Scripture is God-breathed. In our Scriptures, in our Bible history, Israel, in difficulty, whether it was in war, in famine, in sickness, or in commerce, whatever it was which came and threatened her as a nation, Israel turned to God eventually. And Yahweh, that is Almighty God himself, answered their prayers, hearing their cries, he sees their plight, he comes to a rescue, delivers them from tyranny and from sickness and from sin and from disease. And he answers them that their enemies should not rule over them. Now, I also believe that Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. In fact, the Lord says that he says, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. In other words, you and I are still human, failing and falling, still with a Jacob-twisted nature at times in us, let's be honest, still wanting the pound of flesh, still wanting the desiring of the flesh is to run after the things of the world. It's called being carnal and being human. But praise God, we have the new birth. We have the new nature within us that keeps us from sinning and calling us back into the way and walking before Almighty God. Now, let's be honest. Things have not changed from Bible days until today. We all have that old nature. God says, Therefore, ye sons of Jacob... Jacob was a twister, a surplanter. He was known as a heel grabber when he grabbed Esau by the heel at their birth. And old Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord all night, and he turned his name. The Lord changed his name to Israel, meaning prince or ruler with God. Here we have, here we have the Lord saying, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. 
I am the Lord, I change not. And you change, and the only reason you're not consumed tonight, come on, believer, think about it. The only reason you're not consumed tonight, unsaved person, the only reason you're not consumed tonight, the only reason God hasn't taken your breath from your body and let you be lost to go to the road of perdition, the road to the lake of fire. The only reason, believer, you and I are going on with God tonight is because of the matchless grace of God in our lives and nothing else. He says, because of who I am, that is why you're not consumed. Psalm 91 speaks of the secret place of the Most High and the shadow of the Almighty. The word shadow here needs looked at before we go any farther, for this is important. Shadow, we know what a shadow is. If I stand with the sun behind me, uh, the shadow casts in front of me. You see, my shadow, it might be longer, it might be taller, it might be thinner or whatever, but nevertheless, a shadow casts. But a shadow in the Hebrew language can be different. And in our English language, when we think about it, is different also. The shadow of the Almighty, the word shadow is the word seal, seal. And it means a shadow of protection. A shadow of protection. A shadow of covering. The word here for shadow also is the word shade. For example, in Psalm 121, it says, The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade, thy seal. The Lord is thy shadow of protection. Gives the idea of something or someone who stands between you and danger. Something or someone who takes the punishment that you go free. Something that takes the blast and the brunt. Something that comes up the right hand side. It is the Lord himself. And he covers you in a time of judgment. And he covers you at a time before his throne. The blood of Jesus covers you as a great shadow. And Christ himself alone is our rock and a weary land. Notice this. The word shadow, the Lord is thy shade or seal upon thy right hand. It is also used in Isaiah 32 and verse 2. Notice what it says. This is written 700 to 750 years before the Lord Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem. Listen to what the prophet says. Speaking of Christ, and a man shall be for an hiding place. And from the wind and from the covert from the tempest, as rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. Notice a man is like that. A man is a protector. A man is a hiding place. A man is a covert from the tempest. A man is like rivers of water in a dry place. A man, he is like a shadow of a great rock in a weary land. Or in other words, a man is like a seal, a shade or a shadow of protection who stands between 
the man and the woman and almighty God's wrath. Now, if you've ever walked through a dry place on a hot day, and if you've ever walked for any length of time, and you've had no water, you and I know what it's like to be extremely thirsty. But I'm sure very few of us know what it's like to walk through a desert when our lips are chapped and our skin is broken with the sun. And we're like the Shulamite who says, my, my skin is black. In other words, my skin is burnt. My skin is wisdom, wisdomed up. My skin is dried up like a prune, as we would say. And our throat cleaves to our very mouth like a dried potsherd. I'm sure very few of us know how grievous that is and what that is like. Well, here we are told that the Lord Jesus Christ himself, that he will be that shadow. He will be the rivers to give you water. He will be the covert from a tempest. Do you ever think of walking through a, a, a terrible storm and you come to a house with a light on and it's warm and it's friendly and it's a covering and it's dry and you're so glad to be at home? Or maybe you're under a tree and there's winds and rain are beating you and you're cold and you're wet and you're miserable and you hide under the shadow of the tree so it would cover you. Such is the word seal, for Christ is that to every man and woman who are found in him at the day of judgment and at the great battle of that day of Almighty God. I want to ask you something. Are you covered tonight? Are you covered? Are you covered in the blood of Jesus? Are you covered with the great shadow that the man is in hiding place? He's the shadow of a rock, great rock in a weary land. Imagine those times when the sun is beating down and suddenly in a dry, barren desert with the sand burning upon your feet, and suddenly you see a great rock. And at the far side of it, there is a shadow. The rock casts a shadow where the sun is behind it. And you find that place of cool. You find that place of refreshing. You find that place of safety. And you find that place of protection. Such is Christ. When a man and a woman go to the secret place of the Most High. And listen, God has said... When our nation came to him in repentance and prayer, calling on his name in the face of tyranny and defeat, he said, I will be your shadow. I will cover you. And that's what happened to Great Britain on many times during the history of our people. Let me just run through this for time is going on. Let me give you a contrast to the shadow, just one before we move any further. Psalm 23 and verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The word shadow is not the word seal, meaning a shadow of protection. It's a word, seal mave, and it means a shadow which distresses, a shadow which brings extreme danger. 
a shadow which brings fear and anxiety, a shadow which looms over you for the worse, a shadow which looms over you in darkness. In other words, when you and I face that place of death and destruction, you and I will face the last enemy that is to be destroyed, which is death, and you and I will pass through that veil and walk that valley. But it's whether you're under the shadow of distress and doom and fear and anxiety and destruction without Christ, or whether he is your shadow taking you by the hand and protecting you as you walk through the veil. Which is it for you? Which is it for you? If it was you tonight, would you be under the shadow of death which all men should fear? Or would you be under the shadow of the Most High? Now we know and we're aware that many times in Scripture God stepped into the picture in Israel's history and changed the circumstance and solved the equation to defend and to deliver His people. And solved the equation not only to defend and to deliver, but even right through into the New Testament. The Lord Jesus stands in Matthew 23, verses 37 and 38, crying to a remnant of Jews or Judah as they're known. And he cries unto them, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered, even to gather as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Notice what he says. How often would I have gathered you together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and you would not. You wouldn't come. You wouldn't trust. You wouldn't believe. Is that you I'm speaking to tonight? How often have you heard the word? How often is Christ stretch forth his hand to you. How often have you heard of the glorious gospel of saving grace? How often has someone said you must be born again? How often have you heard of the blood of Jesus and Jesus only? And ye would not. Listen to what he says. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. The temple, he means, that which had the secret place of the Most High, That place was destroyed in A.D. 70 by Titus, a Roman prince. And he sacked the whole of Jerusalem, pulled the very temple stones down brick by brick, fulfilling the prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ, whenever he said, one stone shall not be left upon another. And do you see when you see the Jews against the willing wall? I have something to tell you. That's not the temple wall. That's just a retaining wall. Or else Christ got it wrong. But I believe Jesus got it right. Here we have the Lord saying, I would gather you even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings. What does Psalm 91 and verse 4 say? He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. Think of the plagues in Egypt. Israel were in Goshen in Egypt. Think of the protecting hand of the Lord upon them. Think of when thick darkness covered the land of Egypt and a man could not see, as we would say, his finger in front of his own face. 
And you could feel the darkness. You could sense that darkness. It was a heavy darkness. And we're told that Israel had light in their dwelling. Think of them coming up to the Red Sea and crossing over in dry land with the enemy behind them and sea before them. Think of God's great deliverance in battle even when Aaron and Hur held up the hands of Moses and his staff in his hands and God came and blessed Israel and gave them victory over the Amalekites. Or think of Second Kings chapter 6. Syria are at war with the house of Israel. Now you're well schooled by now, those of you who are coming here for any amount of time. The house of Israel is the northern kingdom of Israel or the ten tribes of Israel. And Syria came against them. And Elisha was there, Elisha the prophet. And his servant was there. And all the host of the Syrian army was coming against the house of Israel. They had no hope. There would be slaughter all over the place. Israel were doomed. The house of Israel were finished. And the old prophet Elisha, he prays in Second Kings chapter 6, verse 17. It says, And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Think about it. Just looking like you look, and I look with 20-20 vision. And what the young man didn't know, but what Elisha knew, was that the army of the Lord of hosts was in the camp of Israel. The army of the Lord's host was encamping around his people. The army of the Lord's host is here tonight too. He's here tonight too. In fact, this happened at a city called Dothan. Dothan means two cisterns. So here's the thing for you tonight. Either you can stay in unbelief or you can believe. You can stay in fear or you can step out in faith. Either you can believe this glorious message or you can turn away from it. Here's two cisterns for you to drink off tonight. Believe it or not, as we're speaking, as we're listening, as God is moving, do you know there's an invisible world in this house? There's an invisible power speaking to your heart. There's an invisible angelic realm who are looking over the battlements of heaven, who are beholding the face of God's children, and they are interceding before God for ministry, not like Christ now, for ministry. And God sends forth his angels to minister on to his people. Do you know tonight... Heaven's here. Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes and let us see the glories of God. Let us see the angelic realm. Christ intercedes as our great high priest, but they come to pray. Father, let us minister to your people. He sends his angels forth to minister unto his people. Second Kings 19, Hezekiah 
king of Judah, that's the southern kingdom, spreads letters before the Lord because Jerusalem is going to be invaded from Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, who eventually carries away, first of all, the northern kingdom and around 46 fenced or fortified cities of Judah. Now he comes to Jerusalem. Jerusalem has no chance. What happens? They go to the place of repentance and praise and prayer, and they get the letters that were sent of, of their conditional surrender. And he, he lays it before Almighty God. He says, Father, read this, and will you answer? And by the time he had woke up, and by the time he had looked over the battlements, Almighty God had already smote the enemy. God calls us into that place. One more example for you before we go into the history of this. Second Chronicles 20, Moab and Ammon and Edom come to battle against Judah and King Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, we're told, verse 3, feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed the fast throughout all Judah. Verse 6, and, the, and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thy God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? We're told he goes to prayer. We're told he calls in the name of the Lord. In fact, in verse 13 it says, And Judah and Jerusalem and all the, all the people bring their whole families to the Lord. Where's your family tonight? Where's your family tonight? They bring their whole families to the Lord. And you know what happens? The Lord smites the enemy because they come to a national place of prayer. God does a national miracle. God's national miracles seem so fantastic and great. But here's the thing. We must ask ourselves then, does God or has God done any national miracles in our recent history, apart from our Bible history? And is there any record of them? Well, the answer is, yes, he has done national miracles. And yes, there are records of fantastic miracles. Now, before we go any further, let me say, when I bring these to you, some of them are widely contested for the simple reason is unbelievers don't believe in creation. In fact, atheists don't believe in God. It's the same way people don't want to believe that God has stepped into our situation. Old Isaac Watts wrote that wonderful hymn and the beautiful words that are sang up and down our country, up and down our island home, every Remembrance Sunday, somewhere or other. O oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. Speaking of how God stepped in. I could tell of many occasions before World War I and World War II. I could tell you of how during the Protestant Reformation, God stepped in and sent forth the mighty move of his spirit in that Reformation and formed and shaped the very northwestern countries of Europe. 
called him the Reformed faith and ended up being a Protestant bastion, ending in mainly the Dutch and the United Kingdom, or Great Britain, as you say, or England at the time, that they became a bastion for truth of the Reformed faith. And also, and also we must say, that the Roman Catholic Church called Great Britain, still calls England, Mary's diary, always wanting it as a great prize to behold and to have. I have something sad to tell you. The way the Christian church is ecumenizing and the way the Christian church is yielding to communist atheism and the way the Christian church is no backbone, they're getting their wish. They're moving into Europe and you watch the Roman church will come out of Europe and stronger and stronger and stronger until it envelops the United Kingdom. Come ye out of her, my people. Listen to what Second Chronicles 7 and 14 says. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sins and will heal their land. Here is a call to national repentance. I could tell you about many occasions during the Reformation. We'll have time. We'll do it some other time, maybe. I could tell you about 1588 and the Spanish Armada. 80 small vessels of the, of the British fleet, many of them weren't any bigger or any larger than a, than a large yacht. And the big Spanish galleons of Philip II of Spain were sent to crush England, to take it back into the Roman fold in order that they may have the new world for the might of the naval power of Britain and the, the very exploratory groups that went forth from the United, or from Britain whenever they went to the, to the new world, which is America and the South Americas, Rome wanted to claim it all for herself. So destroy the British peoples. And there was a medal struck up by Philip II of Spain that says, the world is not enough. They sent the Armada 1588, 189 naval vessels, giant galleons coming, full of thousands of men to overrun this little island home of ours. And a godly queen, Queen Elizabeth II, stands and prays and addresses her troops for courage, trusts in God and reads the Bible. And as she prays over the coast, God sends a big wind in. He sends a wind in and it scatters the armada fleet. And they did not land on the shores of England. Oh, that's only a wind. Strange, it just happened when they gathered together to pray and there was no sign of wind. There was a medal struck up, a church on a rock on one side and the others, and there was, a, there was a silver and a gold medal and there was another medal and it says, Jehovah across the top. I am a seal but not injured, it says upon it in Hebrews letters. It also says, he blew with his winds and they were scattered. They believed in the national miracle working power of Almighty God. You know what's wrong? We don't believe it anymore. The church doesn't believe it anymore. 
the Angel of Mons, early in World War I, a smaller, weaker, outmanned, outgunned British expeditionary force faced a strong, well-armed, and well-equipped German army. Serious defeat and tremendous losses seemed inevitable, and they became pinned down with heavy gunfire. They tried moving left, right, back, forth. They tried fighting their best, but they were goners, basically. There was, this would be the end. This is only at the start of the war. This was crucial. And these soldiers who were trapped tried to even retreat, but to no avail. But then something happened, which can only be put down by, listen, by both German and British forces. This is now documented by German and British forces. Something stepped between them. The Lord is the shade on thy right hand, the shadow of the Almighty. And something stopped between them. What was it? Well, listen to this. Captain Cecil Reitrich Hard, staff officer of the 1st Corps Intelligence of British Army Headquarters. He talks of churches at this time, knowing that this was crucial, crowded with the whole of the British nation in prayer. At that time, with them trapped, can't even retreat, suddenly he calls it, these wonderful beings came and stood between the German forces, which were advancing rapidly with heavy fire, and between them and the British forces. It says, he says that these wonderful beings were much bigger than men. They appeared robed in white between the British and Germans, with their backs to the British, and with their hands outstretched to the Germans, as though to say, thus far and no further. Documented on both sides, the Germans dropped their arms seeing these men and ran off, and the British were able to escape. That's known as the Angel of Mons. Here's another one, the White Cavalry. In spring 1918 in Bethune, again the German army broke through Allied lines and heavy casualties were sustained. And documented in the Household Brigade magazine, the winter edition of 1942. Now they're looking back to 1918. They spoke of... During heavy fire and artillery shelling, they speak of it. I haven't time to read it all, obviously. The ground is obliterated. The ground has been emptied. There's nothing alive on the ground. It's so bad with the shells that had fallen. It's been obliterated for miles. I want to quote them. Listen to this. As suddenly as it started, the enemy's fire ceased. In the complete silence there rose a lark's thrilling song of thankfulness. The dense line of German troops which had started to move forward to victory in mass formation halted dead. And as the British watched, they saw it break. The Germans threw down everything they had and fled in frantic panic. 
They dropped everything and ran in panic. Why? Wasn't the British troops because they were defeating the British troops. Why? A German officer who was captured and questioned when asked why they ran so frantically when they were going to be the victors. This is what he says, and I quote him. Fritz, my lieutenant, here said, Herr Captain, just look at that open ground behind Bethune. There is a brigade of cavalry coming up through the smoke, drifting across it. They must be mad, these English, to advance against such a force as ours in the open. I suppose they must be cavalry of one of their colonial forces, for see, they are all in white uniform and are mounted on white horses. They saw this white cavalry, white uniform and white horses. The British didn't see it, but the German forces saw it. And then it goes on to tell you that they all wore khaki, the green, browny khaki color uniform. Uh, and this captain said, no, they don't wear these clothes here. This couldn't be a colonial force. So we're told that this, these horse, horses come with far, within firing range of heavy artillery shell. And the shells are exploding all around them. Massive shells leaving craters in the ground with no effect on this cavalry. We're told they keep riding on and getting closer until they come in within range of heavy machine gun fire. But not one man fell off his horse. Now I want to quote this captain again. Steadily they advanced, clear in the shining sunlight. And a few paces in front of them rode a leader, a fine figure of a man, whose hair, like spun gold, shone in an aura round about his head. You know what they saw? They saw the angelic forces that Elisha asked the Lord to show his servant. And it says in the book, and in the writings of this letter, they were, he was just going between a gallop and a trot. He had his hand on a great golden sword and a golden girl in a great, a great white uniform riding toward them, bombs gone off, machine gun fire, and nothing fizzed him nor fizzed them. And the Germans dropped their arms and ran for cover. A national miracle of God. What happened? How did this happen? Well, back home in Britain, they knew the dangers that they were in again. And the nation was called to national prayer. And God intervened. I believe that. Are you alright for another one or two? Time's flowing. Are you alright for another one or two? Listen to this. August 1918. Britain was weak and at a low ebb. And the morale of the British people was very low. August the 4th, 1918, the fourth anniversary of Britain's declaration of war on Germany, special services of intercession, notice special services of intercession and thanksgiving, thanksgiving were held all over the country, led by King George V. Both houses of Parliament also came to St. Margaret's at Westminster, and this led to the most miraculous results. From they started interceding on prayer, the very western front, the whole line, was impregnable. Nothing was happening. 
heavy casualty losses. The country was at a low ebb and very weak. The country was so weak it didn't think it would last any longer if there was one more offensive push. So they all came to pray. And every man from the farmer of his field to the city worker in the town, to the man who brushes the streets, to the king of England himself, they came to pray and to make intercession for what was happening in Western Europe. And listen to what happened. Within three months, the war was over. The German lines started to break as soon as they started to pray and intercede. And armistice was called on the 11th of the 11th, 1918. On the orders of Sir Douglas Haig, the Allies were to advance. And the weather suddenly changed, we're told, in their last offense. They couldn't. They were fine at struggling. People were praying, and they were doing what they could. Sir Douglas Haig ordered a last pincer movement, a, a great advance in. And he says that there was a, 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 a mist came down. And they decided to move in the midst. But the Germans, they said, a heavy fog came that they couldn't even see them. The British soldiers could see just like through a mist. But the Germans could see nothing. God had stepped in because of prayer was meant to be made. Does that not encourage you to want to go pray? Does that not encourage you to say, Lord, if you can do it on that scale, you can meet my need. You can answer my prayers. Here's another one. The Commonwealth Day of Prayer, May 26, 1940. At the request of King George VI, the National Day of Prayer was held, and he called the people to commit their cause to God. 335,000 men were on the very shores of France, unable to escape, sitting ducks, as we would say. There was going to be a great slaughter. The great might of, Ger of Nazi Germany were coming toward, uh, through France and coming toward them. They were trapped and hemmed in. The Luftwaffe was ready to take off, to bomb them, just to obliterate them. 335,000 men. King George VI, he called for a national day of prayer to seek God on their behalf. And there's pictures. You can look it up online. Go and research it yourself. The streets are lined with people going to pray to seek the face of Almighty God. And God himself intervened. All that morning, the sea went like a duck pond. The sea went like glass. The sea went so smooth that even little ships could leave the shores. Freak weather, they called it. They sailed to France and brought back the troops. And in the meanwhile, between the Nazi troops and between the Allied troops on the beach, God sent a big storm the whole way up between the two of them. It's like Israel at the Red Sea and the Egyptians are coming behind them. And the, the Israelites are saying, Oh Moses, here comes the Egyptians to slay us. And the sea is before us. What will we do? And Moses said, Fear not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And God sent a miracle. God sent a miracle. And they were all brought home safe. Praise his holy name. Praise his holy name. 
The Luftwaffe couldn't take off. The storm was raging on their side so hot. It's like Israel. And the cloud came down between the Egyptians and Israel. And the head sea opened and they went over dry shod five at a time through the Red Sea. Oh boy, does God do great national miracles in our history? Absolutely, yes. The Daily Telegraph on the 8th of June 1940 wrote this. They said that the prayers of the nation were answered that the God of hosts himself supported the valiant men of the British Expeditionary Forces. In June the 6th, 1946, His Majesty again called a nation to prayer. And this is what he said. I desire solemnly to call my people to prayer. This is after the war, by the way. You see, it's good. We all pray when we're in need, don't we? We seek God for miracles. We seek God for help. And when you're in need, you seek God for your need. But when we get out of our need and we're back on the mountaintop again, we forget God. This godly king didn't. Oh, that her majesty, the queen, the, uh, Elizabeth II. I said Elizabeth II. I already meant Elizabeth I, by the way, with the armada. Uh, uh, Elizabeth II, that she would call our nation to prayer because our nation is going down the river. Our nation is in deep dyed sin. Our nation has fallen away from the God of its fathers. Our nation is going to be finished. If God doesn't stop, stand in and step into our situation, our nation is going to be overrun with the godless heathen that are coming in and Building their mosques and their temples. I desire some to call my people to prayer and dedication. We are not unmindful of our own shortcomings, past and present. We shall ask not that God may do our will, but that we may be enabled to do the will of God. And we dare to believe that God has used our nation and empire as an instrument for fulfilling his high places. Hallelujah. This is what a king has prayed. F.L. Rawlinson, he's, a, a, he's quite a noted engineer. He's called one of uh, the country England's greatest scientists. He has a book called Life Understood. He wrote of a British regiment under the command of Colonel Whittlesey, who served in World War I for more than four years. Now listen, World War I, more than four years, without losing a man under his command. He was asked what a secret was. You know what he said? He said the secret was this, that all his officers and all his men who came under his command learned off by heart Psalm 91. And they prayed it, and they preached it, and they talked about it before battle and after battle. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Thank you for your attention. There's, a, there's, a, a, there's a, so many of those stories. Here's the thing. If God can do it in our nation, when you go to your secret place, believe God to do wonders for you. And if you're not saved, you must be born again. Even the king himself says, we're not 
unaware of our shortcomings and our failures. Friend, let me tell you, God didn't do it because we're all saved. God answered their prayers. You must be born again. Because I'm well aware of Britain's shortcomings, especially the government we're under today. They're evil and wicked. The Lord bless you. Where are you, Gary? Oh, you are way down there. We're going to sing. We're going to go home. You know, it's been fantastic that you've all come out tonight. Thank you for your attention. I get excited at this stuff because I just see God moving on, on our behalf. And I see the Lord's great miracles. I see God answering prayers in the house of Israel. And I see God interceding for or us interceding and God coming to us and answering our prayers. And it's just marvelous, but I can say this to you. If you're not saved, you're going to be outside the kingdom. Make sure you're under the shadow of the Almighty and not under the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death. What cistern do you want to drink from tonight? Cistern of life, the cistern of death. The cistern of eternal life, or the cistern of eternal death. Christ died for your sins. I pray that you'd come. Saving faith in him tonight. See us before you go home. If you're concerned about your soul security and where you'll spend eternity. Thank you, Gary, Stephen, Lauren, Margaret, and Richard. Let's all stand and we'll pray as we go home. Time is well flown. Thank you for your attendance. It's been tremendous.